All right, y'all ready to rock with us? All right, so how y'all doing? All right, let's try that again. How y'all doing? Okay, I'm feeling the energy now. Yeah, welcome to Hella Black. I think this episode 38. 38, yeah, we just dropped the episode yesterday. It's called Black Killing. How many of y'all have uh, heard Hella Black? By a show of hands. You ain't got to lie. It's all good. Like, you ain't got to lie to kick I it. Y'all still here. I damn near don't even listen to it myself. Yeah, for real. So like, I'm not going to look at you. He's not lying. Like, I probably only listened to maybe two episodes, and that was because we got too drunk one time. And I'm like, all right, Blake, did I say any foul shit? I don't know. Yeah. You know? So it was like a content check, you know? Y- y'all don't have, like, this thing about hearing yourself talk? Like, for me, when I, when I listen to the podcast and I go back, I'm like, for one, it's like my voice is annoying to myself. Secondly, it's like, damn, I wish I would have said it this way. Like you never had that when you like speaking publicly. It's like fuck. Why didn't I say that? You get the better idea afterwards. So yeah, to avoid feeling that kind of um, that guilt and shame, I just don't listen to myself. But I'm a I'm gonna assume it's good because somebody paid us to come talk, to come <laughs> listen to it. So shit. If y'all fucking with it, I'm fucking with it. For real, for real. Yeah. You Hello know, black episode 38, Rocky Santa Barbara. You feel me? It's so good to just see black people. We was on State Street or some shit like that. I don't know. You know, we was like, you know. We real, we kind of basic with the food choices. We went to the habit, we were like, all right, we need something smooth. You feel me? Just to hold us over. You know, we got a burger and shit. And I was like, bro, it's just hella white people everywhere. I'm yeah. like, bro, what, what the fuck you looking at, bro? Like for real, yeah. chill. Especially, you know, we coming from Oakland and Berkeley. Like, you see black people despite gentrification and all that shit. You, I see black people. I work at a black resource and I see niggas every day. But to come here, I'm like, ugh. I mean, all right, Santa, now, now yeah. we feel like it's hella black in Santa yeah. Barbara. Santa Barbara is a place that doesn't really have any black people to begin with. So then you, you, you uh, take into the fact that white folks are like multiplying by the day. You're gonna see a lot more of them, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I'm not, I'll, I'll, yeah, I wanna give it up to y'all, like for real. Y'all surviving, y'all thriving in this space, y'all, y'all rocking. So I wanna give it up to y'all for real for yeah. being out here. Cause, yeah, that shit. <laughs> yeah. It shit hella white But we finna make this space hella black And we, you feel me We gonna talk about hella black shit Hella politics You feel me And we just gonna rock So But yeah Definitely yeah. wanna start by Acknowledging uh, This room that we in right now Is a safe space For all black folks You know what I'm saying We not We not free to all of us are free So this is a space That we trying to cultivate A safe space for all black people And if you're not with that shit Y'all know where the exits are I'm not familiar with the building But I'm sure y'all know How to get in and out This yeah. motherfucker Cause it's really When we talk about Black Lives Matter you feel me? It's really about all of us. You feel me? It's like, we can't just be like, oh, you know, we two black men, two straight black men. I'm light-skinned. I got hella privilege because of that. You feel me? Like, we got to talk about all of us, right? Every, you know, the different identities we hold. Because oppression, it, it don't just work one way. This motherfucker multifaceted, right? If you black, if you a woman, queer, trans, class, Disabled. You feel disabled yeah. ability, right? So when we say it's all of us or none of us, we really mean it's all of us and none of us. You feel me? Black homeless folks, black poor folks. You feel me? Just even being on campus, it's a privilege. Like everybody, you feel me? We both went to college, right? That's a privilege in itself. Y'all all got UCSB, UCSB IDs. That's a privilege in itself. You feel me? So just like being able to recognize our privileges that we do have and that we do hold, I think is important. So you feel me? This is a space for all black people. If you're in here for all black people. Bye, you gotta go. (laughs) But we want people to learn. That doesn't mean we don't, you know, we want people to learn. We want to learn with y'all, build with y'all, talk with y'all. It shouldn't just be us, you know, talking at y'all. We want, you feel me? If you hear something you like, snap, you know, you're like, oh yeah, I'm fucking with it. If you hear something you don't like, you know, you can just keep it quiet. You feel me? Keep it pushing. (laughs) But so we also wanted to uh, just acknowledge, you know, the land we own, right? We own Native American land, you feel me? And our oppression of Native Americans and black people, like, 
we can't talk about black oppression in America without talking about the oppression and the genocide of Native peoples. You feel me? So it's important to honor the land that we're here or on today. You feel me? So yeah. So I don't know. Again, we asked how many of y'all are familiar with with Hella Black the podcast. Um, if you are like a, a frequent listener, you know that me and Blake, you know, we talk a lot about uh, never seeing our podcast like having this kind of platform or doing this kind of thing. Like I never thought I would be doing a live podcast at a college. Um, I never thought I'd be doing a live a live podcast anywhere. But um, so for it to I didn't even know what a podcast was yeah. when we started a podcast for real. Like <laughs> this nigga Delinsky was like, "Hey, you trying to start a podcast?" I was like, "Yeah, you my brother for sure. Yeah, it's good. Like we'll do it, whatever." Yeah, how, how we kind of <laughs> got started was I had um, a mentor that was working in journalism in New York, and I went to go spend a week with him. And in the midst of him taking me to like all these different publications, like the Times, um, what Playboy, uh, Teen Vogue, like all these different places, he was also a podcaster. And he took me to this studio, and all I seen was just hella white men talking about shit that didn't matter. And I'm like, damn, if they could, and they was making bread for real. Like real bread, like not just like bread, bread, but like bread, bread, bread. You feel me? Like that generational bread. Like, like it's, 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 <laughs> it's disgusting when you see how much white folks get paid for their bad ideas. Like it's, it, it, it's disgusting. So I seen that, and me like being fresh out of college and you know, just graduated with my degree in journalism, I'm like, damn, this is just another platform for us to tell like some really important stories. And right now it's just white men hogging up all what would be like the airtime. So I came back to the town just Oakland, and I'm like, bro, I think we should start a podcast. Um, and that was like 2017, maybe 20, no, 2016. I don't even 2016, know. 2016, yeah. 2016, something like that. And we recorded our first. Ep- I recorded our first episode, and I was um, interviewing a group called the Black Neighborhood that does a bunch of organizing uh, in Oakland. And we recorded that first episode, and that was like the start of it. And then you know we took a little, we had a little hiatus. We didn't record for a whole nother year, honestly. Like niggas just graduated, bruh, trying to find a job. That shit was challenging as fuck. Like, being a student is challenging as fuck, but then, like, you graduate, and you're like, damn, I have, like, I went to Berkeley. They say Berkeley's all this yada, yada, yada. A lot of dumb motherfuckers went to Berkeley. Like, excuse my language. Like, they say Berkeley, the best public university. I'm like, mm, I know some of y'all really just got in because of your daddy. Like, y'all really ain't that smart, you know? Um, but to graduate and then just be working four jobs, like, bruh, that shit, <laughs> that shit for the birds. That shit was not it at all. So like that, you know, we both were just trying to find employment. We were both, I think, we were unemployed at some point too. I was definitely unemployed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like struggling, you feel me? So like that's why you didn't hear no podcast for a year. And then one day, we grabbed a bottle of Hennessy, you feel me? And hit the studio and was like, all right. And then we recorded an episode called uh, These Damn Neoliberals. And we was just talking hell of shit. And then people's like, oh, we fuck with what y'all saying? I'm like, what? Like, we just, we had no idea that people would really fuck with, like, why are you going to listen to us, like, for yeah. real? You know, and people was fucking with it, like, okay, shit. We was loaded, too. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if, so I don't let the, like, the alcohol, um, I won't let that downplay the, the thoughts that we have. Like, oh, yeah, we had good-ass thoughts. Before content. the Hennessy, we would yeah. we would have had the thoughts. It was so. meaningful content. And, like, we, we drink when we talk, but it's not like, you feel me? Because I think the point of Hella Black is having a, a super authentic experience, right? And it's like, like this is like one of my closest friends and family. So it's when me and him are talking, recording the podcast. It's just like if you were sitting at the table with your with your family, playing dominoes, playing cards, whatever, watching TV. But we just talking about shit that we feel is important, um, specifically like black radical politics, right? Uh, so yeah, that, that's that's kind of how the podcast got started. And over, so I would say since we we recorded that second episode, maybe in like 2016, 2017, we've like kind of dedicated ourselves to this, I guess like this craft, this form of creativity, and um, 
things have begun to, have begun to like shift for us. You know, this is our third live podcast. Um, we've been written about a couple times, and so yeah, it's it's wild to see what it is to be what it is what it what it's starting to become. I don't know if any of y'all deal with, you know, the realization that damn, like my thoughts matter, my ideas matter. There's value in what I think. There's value in what I do, and that's kind of the realization that we starting to come come to now with um, like having young black folks like yourselves like listen to what we got to say and find value in that shit and being able to connect with it. So yeah, as the as the podcast continues to grow, I'm hoping that we can have more moments like this. Like the, the leaders of the next generation and shit. Because like, y'all are the leaders, you feel me? In the room that we're in right now, like we might not realize it, but everybody in this room a leader in some capacity. And both of us going to historically uh, Caucasian institutions or c- colorless institutions, right? Yeah. You're oftentimes invalidated. Your experience is invalidated. You go into a classroom, you're the only one who look like you. You feel me? You raise your hand, a professor ain't going to call on you. But then they talk about some black shit. Okay, hey, can you talk about that black shit? Like you're the like, spokesperson of your race, some shit like that, right? And I know a lot of people probably in this room resonate with that, right? So I think sometimes, at least for myself, I internalize a lot of that shit. My, my ideas don't matter. My voice don't matter. My thoughts don't matter. But it's like, nah, nigga, my shit matter. I'm smarter than, mo- I'm smarter than all y'all, you feel me? Like in, in the classroom, like y'all, y'all think y'all hella smart and shit. We smart too, you feel me? We rocking. Yeah. Okay. So don't let white people ever tell you you ain't smart, you ain't rocking. You feel me? Know it from inside of yourself, even though you're going to a white institution that doesn't value black people. No, you still rocking. You feel me? Yeah, I think one of uh, something that one of my cl- close friends said to me recently was like, if you're the only black person in the room, you're probably the smartest person in the room. So that's something that y'all should probably, you know, take that and rock with it. Unless you Ben Carson, because that nigga on some other yeah, shit. It's a lot for of real, dumb. It's know. a lot of dumb niggas that be in the room. Too. <laughs> Not yeah. all your skin is your kin, for real. You know, that's that's for real. So I think y'all got like a background on hella black. I don't know if we should give them like. You do something called like People's Breakfast Oakland, some shit like yeah. that. Is that is that what you do? Yeah, that's what I heard. I don't so know. In, a, in addition to the um, to the podcast, we do this. I guess we started an org. I don't know what to call it. It's technically an organization. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We have this organization called People's Programs, and uh, one of the programs we do is that we like feed the um, the houseless folks in Oakland, and that's like kind of what folks know us for in addition to the podcast. Yeah. And that that kind of got started again. Us just sitting down thinking about what are some of the actions that we should be taking, and not just having these intellectual masturbation sessions, right? Just sitting around talking about shit, but like, okay, so what's some things we could really be doing that's aligned with our politic? And I don't know how many of y'all are familiar with like the Bay Area, but we have, especially in Oakland, where like where I'm from and where I live, we have a, a serious problem with homelessness. And it's like a lot of, a lot of mostly black folks living on the streets and like going without the bare, the bare, um, like their bare necessities. And I think we started thinking about, okay, if we gonna try to spark some revolution, try to be leaders in a revolution, we need to start with the bareness. We need to start with the minimum. Like niggas can't be ready to listen to us, listen to us talk. And niggas can't be ready to fight if their stomachs is growling and shit. Like, how do you say Black Lives Matter, but then there's black poor people living two blocks? Like, literally, like where I live is like a block from my house, and I'm walking past them every day. I'm like, what am I doing for them? But I'm coming up to UC Berkeley and doing work with black students, which is important, right? But niggas is still privileged on campus. Right, so when we say all of us or none of us, are we thinking about the people most impacted by this white supremacist capitalist state, right? And it's black elders, you feel me? Like, you know, I would say the average age is probably like 55 out there. Yeah, you it's, know? it's a lot of old, old folks out there. And when I'm talking about this is like 95% black, 
we serve everybody. We don't discriminate. We ain't like white folks. You feel me? Like if you white and you out on the streets, we gonna give you a plate too, right? We ain't like them. We don't we don't recreate the the same shit that they do, right? But yeah, like this is a big it's a big issue in Oakland. It's a big issue everywhere, right? And it, it comes down to capitalism and the fact that Oakland has so much money coming into it, so much tech coming into it, yet you have black folks living on the street, right? That's sick. You know, so that's why we created People's Breakfast Oakland. Is like, how do we actually focus on people who is most marginalized and most impacted by the state, right? We're over here talking to Santa Barbara, but, like, it shit, it shit real. You know, there's homelessness in Santa Barbara, too, right? So it's like, you know, it's probably a lot of, like, white homeless folks out here, right? But they still impacted by capitalism, too. Yeah, and I think um, something that me and Blake try to stay conscious of is, like, as, as we continue to, like, gain notoriety or... You know, whatever this is. I know y'all see a lot of people that have, like, like commodified the movement, right? Like, they're getting paid to do these speaking engagements. They're writing books. They're talking about this work. But the folks that are actually in the field doing the work are not the ones reaping the, the capitalistic benefits. So with us, we, we thought it was super important that while we're, you know, talking about the podcast, not to downplay the podcast, I think that it has a lot of value, and I think that people learn a lot from it. But we don't want to draw the line of our work right there. You know, it's important that we engage with these communities that we claim to serve. Uh, and I think that's something, you know, as if you listen to Hella Black, we always on here critiquing, you know, black organizers, black activists, folks that, that claim to call themselves black radicals, right? But it's like, what are you doing besides just talking about shit? And there's a place in the movement for everyone, right? You, you think about abilities. There's some folks who can't really go out, like literally cannot go outside to organize, right? But that's a different thing. When you have the capacity to go out there and organize and be in the community and help folks, and you choosing to just strictly talk about it and, and collect the checks, then, you know, I can't really fuck with you. Um, so I try to hold myself to the same standards that I hold a lot of my ops to. And yeah. That's making sure that I'm out in the field. So that's where we, you know, we kind of got the programs from. Yeah. And I think Blake can talk about that. Just like being a, um, a student organizer in a, a black bougie space like UC yeah. Berkeley. <laughs> uh, that's black and bougie Berkeley for real, for real. <laughs> but I think it's real important. Like we go to these institutions, right? But what is the institution telling us to do? Who is the institution training us to become? Right, are we gonna get a degree and work at Goldman Sachs? Are we gonna get a degree and use it to help our people? Right, and I think a lot of times these institutions, we have to look at these places. These are places of colonial occupation, right? So the land was stolen. White people came. They're like, "Oh, let's build a university." The first UC president was Joseph Lacan, right? He started Berkeley and then the whole UC system. Joseph Lacan was a slave owner. He wasn't only just a slave owner; like he was a part of the Confederacy. He wasn't only a part of the Confederacy. That nigga would like armed the Confederacy. He gave the Confederacy all the straps. You feel me? All the guns, all the muskets, all the whatever, you feel me, that was using back in the day, right? And that was the start of education. So when we think about education spaces and institutions like these, they were founded and they were rooted in colonialism. So it's like, what does it mean that we're here in these spaces and what is our goal as black people? You feel me? Is it to get our education to help our community? Right, and take the tools that we are running here and take it back to our own community? Or is it to become a part of this system, right? And what is the system that we living in? You feel me? It's 20, 2019, right? Trump is president and, you know, it's pretty fucked up, <laughs> to say the least. But Obama, he was on some foul shit too. We like to kind of look past Obama because, you know, he can wear a, you know, a tracksuit and, and do some, you know, jump shots and shake LeBron's hand, you feel me? And it's good that we look past Obama, right? Yeah, so that's kind of 
the long story short, like the gist <laughs> of Hella Black Podcast and how we got started and who we are. Um, so yeah, now we can like dive into the episode. How we usually start is we like to start each of our episodes with um, this segment that's called like Black Joy. And how I see it as, as a necessity for us to highlight the good shit that we going through. I feel like a part of kind of like the black burden and shit is um, life damn near just being constantly born into the struggle. Like everything we do is politicized. Everything we do gotta be serious. Everything we gotta do gotta be for the liberation. And you know, that's what we, that's the result of being born into a black, uh, into a white supremacist um, capitalist patriarchy, right? So we try to create a space on the podcast where in the midst of all our work, uh, Blake and I and our listeners can take a step back and acknowledge something that made us happy um, yeah. over the, like, in-between episodes. And I think it's important because people kind of romanticize this organizing shit. Like, it's cool. Like, oh, yeah, when we go to a protest, take a photo, hashtag Black Lives Matter, like, this shit lit. This shit ain't that lit, like, for real. It's hella traumatic. It shit's hella stressful. Seeing the shit that we see, like, daily, you feel me? Um... I don't know what that was, that, right? I heard something, right? It wasn't the game, but that sounded weird. Um, just thinking about, like, the daily shit, the daily struggle of being black in America, like, choosing joy and choosing love is an actual political act, too, right? So that's why one of the things, you know, I know for myself, especially being a, a, a black student organizer, organizer, I burnt, I burnt out because I was dedicating myself to the movement, 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 but I forgot, like, Blake, what do you need? You feel me? So one of the reasons why we start the podcast is try to center joy, you know, and having joy in the movement, you feel me, is important. Black joy. Not that white shit, that black joy, that hell of black joy, you feel me? So, yeah, you can go ahead and start us off. What's, what's brought Damn, you some bro, black joy? what brought me some joy? Uh, shit, it's been a long-ass month, like February, especially with my day job, like, you know, planning black history. Like, I love black history, but it's like you work hella hard black history month to make hella of events happen. And I'm like, that shit just be tiring as shit. Like, for real, for real. You feel me? Um, but the joy is I was able to take some of my students on a retreat. And we went to Santa Cruz um, up in the mountains and shit. And just being able to take, like, a group of 60 black students into Santa Cruz. And you, you spend all your time in Berkeley, right? Berkeley, the city. You feel me? So, like, being able to take them out to nature and build with each other and just, like, have actually joy. You know, and also, like, as a former black organizer, right, our office had no money. <laughs> like, we had, we was broke, you know. Like, the amount of money we had for a year of programming is what we spent on that retreat. So just to be able to see, like, the the work that we did as students, as black students, and then for me to be able to be like, oh, shit, this actually meant something. We're able to take, like, you know, I'm able to take the younger students, right, to do a retreat. So just seeing seeing them have fun and seeing them be able to build community, um, it was a, yeah, it was a beautiful moment. What about you? What joy, what joy you have? I think being back in Santa Barbara, it's like a mixed feeling. Um, I went to Santa Barbara City College, I want to say from like 2011 to 2013. Uh, and like being in junior college was a shitty situation, especially being like a student athlete at a school that hadn't sent the player to college in like a decade or some shit, right? Um, so trying to navigate that space was hard. So like I have like some, damn near like some trauma in this place, being dumbass poor, living with five of my friends on DP in a one bedroom. That shit, that shit sucked. But yeah, I think being back here and um, being able to come in a, in a space like this and be around black students at a space that don't really got that many black people is solid. 
I do have some good memories here, like knocking white boys out on DP. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's one of, I, I'll never forget that. You know, knocking out frat boys. That was that was fun. But yeah, just being in this space with y'all at, uh, at UC Santa Barbara. My homegirl used to um, stay in those dorms right there. And when like me and all my friends got kicked out of our apartment and I had like one month left until I was graduating from the CC, she housed me for like a month. I saw my underground railroad shit, huh? Yeah, she, <laughs> she used to sneak me into the cafeteria right there and like slide me into the pool right over there and shit. So man, yeah, that, that's that, solidarity right there. Yeah, between she, was, she was a real one, like most. Yeah, <laughs> shout out, shout out to her. Um, yeah, so I got I got mixed emotions about being back in this place, but being in this space specific specifically is bringing me a lot of joy, definitely. So one of the things about Hella Black, like we want to try to include people. You feel me? into the moments of joy. So if anybody, you feel me, want to come up and, and share some of that black joy. Hold this little ass mic. <laughs> Feel free. If we can just get like one or two people to come speak on some black joy, that'd be solid. Like, damn. <laughs> There's gotta be something joyful. I don't know, like, you feel me? All right, you want to come up here and introduce yourself? Little ass mic or you gonna project? <laughs> You can stand up, that'd be lit. <laughs> yeah, I'm like a firm believer in meeting people when they at, where they are and not forcing folks to do things that they're not comfortable with. So if nobody else wants to speak, we can continue. But we definitely want to pass the mic. For pass the baby mic. So it ain't you just know. two cis head niggas up here talking y'all ears off. Going once, going twice. Fuck it, come on. All right, we're going back to hella black. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, so just thinking, you know, for me too, especially as a... a Somebody who is a black student activist, I'm always honored to be able to come to black student spaces, just knowing the things that we fought for as black students, you know, and just even on this campus, the history, I believe it's uh, is in North Hall where they had an occupation and they're like, man, y'all crackers on some crazy shit. If y'all don't give us what we want, we finna pour water on all y'all shit. Right. That's what happened. Right. Something like that. That was kind of just my own, you feel me, version of the history. But I got some of it right. Yeah. OK, cool. So, like, literally, if you think about how we're even here today, we gotta pay homage to the people who came before us, you feel me? It's like, both of us, we had family in the party, Black Panther Party, my uncle, Julian went to Kim, he been locked down for 47 years. Um, he joined the Black Panther Party at 16 years of 16 years of age. Got locked up when he was 18. He been in prison ever since, right? So for me, like, as I'm here, I'll always carry the spirit of, of my family, you feel me? The spirit of my ancestors, because I just didn't, somehow come into this knowledge, right? Some of this shit was born into me. And so oh, I just always like to speak Jaleel's name, but bringing that back to black student activism is right. It's you had black studies departments, the first black studies department started in North Oakland, Merit College, a junior college, right? Them niggas with, with straps, you feel me? Huey Newton, Bobby Seale, you feel me? That was really rocking. And they're like, we trying to make this shit into a black university, right? So when I talk to people about like classism and shit, I'm like, it was poor black folks in the hood who got, who allowed me to have a job at UC Berkeley, 
right? Who allowed these black studies departments to happen. It was poor black folks who made those struggles happen, right? So just thinking about black student activism from that lens, I think it's really important that we pay homage to, to radical black people. Because if we don't know the history, it's like we come here and we just like, oh shit, we just here and we black. It's like, nah, niggas sacrificed a lot of shit for y'all to be here. Niggas is still sacrificing shit to this day. Niggas is still locked down to this day. You feel me? So it's important that we pay homage to those people who, who made sacrifices. Like, we just had uh, Mama C, Charlotte O'Neill, Black Panther in Kansas City. Um, she just came and spoke at the Fannie Lou Hammer Black Resource Center in Berkeley. She left with her husband, Pete O'Neill, fled in the back of a trunk because of COINTELPRO, right? The FBI, the CIA. And she became a political refugee in Tanzania where they started a community center. I'm just, I'm getting emotional hearing her speak because I'm like, damn, like the actions that you took influenced the lives of us right now. For us to even be in this room and have a hella black conversation, you feel me? These people sacrificed so much for us to be here where we are, right? So I think in the role of thinking about black students and black student activism, it's like we really got to demand and always keep carrying that torch forward. Because when we stop carrying that torch, black students going to drop off. Like, it's a shame that there's no black, you don't have no black resource center on campus. Like, I was, you know, we was eating there chicken for Chick-fil-A and shit, and I saw the space. I'm like, damn, y'all got 3.9% black people, and there's no black student office. Or there's no uh, African-American student development office or black student development office. There's no black staff dedicated to support black students, right? But people fought for y'all to be here, right? People in 1968, I believe, was the year, right? So what my, my question is, like, how do we keep building that forward? Right. And I think like for me, as somebody who was a black student activist, I was a student athlete at UC Berkeley, you know, around the time of the murder and the execution of Michael Brown. We're like, fuck, we got to do some shit. Right. Because Berkeley is foul. It's, it's two point nine percent black on a good day. Right. And one and a half, you know, half of that percentage or like one and a half of that percentage, um, like one point five percent of student athletes. Right, so black people whose bodies are being used to make money for the university. There's not a lot of black students, right? So we're like, all right, shit, we gotta do something about this, the shit that's going on on campus. And so we made 10 demands for institutional change on our campus, and one of the demands was uh, the creation of a black resource center, which we now have and just celebrated our two-year anniversary um, of the Fannie Lou Hammer Black Resource Center, right? So I'm thinking about space. Space is hell of important because if you don't have space, how can you organize? You know, like the old office we had was hella small. It's like if I'm in there, you know, it's maybe four people. I'm, you know, I'm not the smallest person in the world, right? So it's, it's hella small. And that was the only space on campus that we had, right? But having a political struggle for that allowed us to now, two years later, like, what are we seeing? Like 50 black people just in a room together, studying, you know, having events together, having joy together. But if there wasn't that fight, if there wasn't that, like niggas really put their bodies on the lines for a resource center. And if it wasn't for that fight, shit, the experience of black students at Berkeley would be a lot different right now. Um, so I say all that to say, like, it was a small percentage of us. People sometimes think about the civil rights movement, like, wow, this was such a, a huge movement. But if you look at it, there was like 13% of black people actually participated in the civil rights movement. So that's like, you know, one out of 10. You know, I don't do math that well. I'm gonna just round down, right? <laughs> I teach, you feel me? I don't teach math. That ain't, that ain't my thing. You know, I could talk about radicalism, but <laughs> counting, it's not my job. Um, but yeah, just think about like, you don't need everybody. Like it was literally probably six core members of the BSU 
they were like, all right, we need to really be dedicated to this movement and to create a center. And it was six of us that really led a lot of the organizing, you know? So it's like, literally, y'all can know the different roles that you have. I was good at media, so I was tweeting shit out. I was, you know, I, I can't do art, <laughs> so I was not making no protest sign, right? I knew a little bit about security because I used to bounce at nightclubs, so I'd organize security, right? So it's like using the different talents that we had as students and be like, all right, we got to come together and we got to fight for this. And not everybody wanted a black resource center, but the day it opened, everybody was in there, right? So I think it's important to just think about, like, what can you do as a black student to advance the next generations of people? Because there's going to be another 18-year-old, 17-year-old that come to this campus, and how can you make this campus more uh, inclusive to them? So. Yeah, and, and I just thought it was super important that we touched on that because y'all just put out some demands, right? Yeah, we, when we were talking about that on the drive over here, and um, I don't know, for me, I got to, I didn't go to Cal, and when I, had, when I came back, that's how I found, that's how I met Blake. I came back, I was, I was doing some writing um, for some local publications, and I had came across with Blake and the BSU were doing over at Cal, and he sent me an email. He's like, hey, Kai, interview. Nigga thought I was white. Uh, like, I there's a backstory. Backstory, right? <laughs> Does so, Lindsay Frank a white name? Y'all could be. <laughs> I, so, I've had a white person tell me my shit was ghetto. So I'm confused <laughs> at this point. I don't know if it's white or ghetto. I don't, I don't know which one it is. So the publication misquoted me hella times. Like, yeah. just misquoted me hella times. Said, you know, was just saying some wild shit. So I'm like, ooh, Berkeley side. Uh, so they sent the real nigga to make things So right. I heard the name Delancey. I was like, I ain't ever met a white person named Delancey before. I, I'm going to do this interview. I'm glad we did it. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here right now. You know? Yeah, so, so the point is, like, <laughs> knowing that y'all just put out a list of, list of demands and me being someone who got to experience what Blake was doing, like, on the front line and the rest of the BSU and, like, um, going to support them while also at the same time covering the work that they're doing um, at their protest and whatnot, I just think y'all should stay aware of, like, the importance of, of what y'all doing, and also know that what, what, what y'all trying to do has been done before. So don't let these crackers, you know, sway you, period, point blank. It's been done before, you know what I'm saying? And Blake is like a testament of that and, uh, and what's going on at UC Berkeley. And then just to remember also, like he was saying, the work that y'all doing is gonna lay the foundation for the experience of other black folks for years to come at this university. Um, what they did in 1968 made it to where y'all could probably get a little, you know, a couple thousand to have us come speak up here. You know what I'm saying? The work that y'all do, could change literally the experience, like I'm saying, for black students for, for years and years to come. Yeah, and th they'll tell you no. <laughs> that That's the funny part, like, I'm smiling because I remember the chancellor, Chancellor Nick Dirks, he was an op for so, just straight op, like, oh, white man, you know, historian, quote unquote, you know, the, the white man tells the history, apparently, some shit, right? Um, we present demands, and he's like, <laughs> like, he literally just like laughed. He's like, yeah, yeah, all right. He didn't say it like that, but he's like, no, this ain't going to work. Like, all right, bet. Well, we're going to make sure you finna know. And honestly, what led to it is, like, we shut down the biggest campus eatery on our campus, the Golden Bear Cafe. We shut down that cafe for four and a half hours. We came in there. We was, we was ready to get arrested. You feel me? Like, we're like, all right, if you go to jail, all right, we go call these people. We're going to get some bail money. You feel me? Because we went into the, like, biggest eatery. Like, all right. Yo, this, this motherfucker closed now. <laughs> Y'all ain't going to get no food today. You ain't getting no chicken strips. You ain't getting no salad. You ain't getting no kale. You ain't getting no orange juice. That shit ain't happening today because right now we're talking about Michael Brown. Right? And campuses don't like it when you protest. They'll bring you to the table. They'll be like, hey, can we speak with the representative of the BSU? We want to talk. <laughs> then you'll talk. Be like, oh, okay. But, oh, we want a black resource center. Ah, oh, yeah. Yeah, I. Right. 
that ain't happening, right? But what led us to really getting a black resource center was literally protesting, occupying space. We shut down Cal Day. Cal Day is the biggest event on campus. 40,000 people come to UC Berkeley, prospective students, donors, alumni, and we shut down Sather Gate. Like, we were literally arm in arm. And these people, these white folks, literally was trying to play Red Rover. I'm like, nah, bro, you could catch these hands. Like, for real. Like, you could bump into me once. I'm going to say something. You bump into me twice, man. I'm on, you feel me? Do what I got to do. Right? So we literally blocked Sather Gate, you know, during the biggest, like, 40,000 people. That's hell of people. And we were like, you can't, you can't come through. And our demands aren't being met. You know, a week later, we get a phone call from Dirk. He's like, what do y'all want? <laughs> yeah, like he literally didn't even know what we still wanted. Like we literally talked to you, bro. Like seriously, we gave you a, a PowerPoint. We know y'all love PowerPoints. We know y'all love citations. We gave you all the fucking research, and he was still like, nah. But after protesting, right after shutting down campus buildings, they're like, okay, yeah, we don't want this to happen no more. Y'all, <laughs> y'all Negroes better settle down. If you feel me, we'll give you a resource center. What do you want? All right, yeah, we want a resource center. All right, yeah, that will happen. And that's kind of how it happened was literally like protesting, shutting down buildings and really just being militant as fuck. Like y'all niggas ain't going to tell us no. We've been told no for too long and we're going to make shit happen today. So if, if that's any advice I could give you is like the university hates bad press. You protest, you speak about your conditions, you speak about what black students are experiencing. You get that shit on the news. They ain't going to like it. Right. One of our demands was to rename Barrows Hall. Barrows was a colonizer, of course, and named buildings after colonizers. Rename it after Asada Shakur. So we wanted Asada Shakur Hall. That hall also hosts the African American Studies Department, the gender, uh, women's and gender studies, ethnic studies. So like literally all the oppressed, <laughs> oppressed disciplines are held under Barrows Hall, right? So like that's fucked up. Was named after Asada Shakur. We knew that shit wasn't gonna happen, but for us that was strategic, right? Got picked up by Fox News. Black students at UC Berkeley demand a building to be named after a cop killer. And then our, our faces are on the front page of Breitbart. Faces are on the front page of Fox News. That shit was funny. Got hella death threats. That shit wasn't funny. But they just like making threats. They don't really do shit because they kind of scared at sometimes, right? But literally, that was a strategy that we used to kind of uplift what we wanted to happen. And all of a sudden, it's like, okay, we'll meet with you. <laughs> We don't want we don't want this bad press because Berkeley's progressive. <laughs> it's the white intellectual ghetto of the West, is what you know Stuckley Carmichael called it. So, black student activism, you feel me? That shit is important, and like really fighting for your people on and off campus is important too, because niggas just don't exist right here. Niggas exist at SBCC, right? I'll, you know, there's probably some black folks in Santa Barbara. I, I don't know. But like, you know, but like, how, how do you also think about people who don't have the privilege of being here? How do you build programs that support the broader black community, the people don't, who, who can't get into a research one institution? How are you educating people, right? It's like one thing I feel like I notice sometimes in college spaces is like, we'll learn these big words, right? We'll, we'll learn words like intersectionality, which intersectionality is hella important, but we'll learn it one week and then the next week we'll make fun of somebody for not knowing what it means. It's like, bro, you just learned what that word meant last week. And you over here, like, downgrading somebody, right? And it's like, even these theories that are created is like, such an truth, she said, ain't I a woman too? That's an intersectionality, right? So just thinking about all these words, like pedagogy and syllabus. I was like, syllabus? What is a syllabus? Like, I came to school. I was like, what the fuck is that shit? 
But then I'm going to come home. Like, what if I came home and was like, Dad, on my syllabus, he's like, what do you mean? What does that mean? I'm like, you don't know what a syllabus means? What the fuck? But I just learned that a week ago. Like, come on. These, these spaces are very peak intellectual. So I was like, if you can't explain these theories that you're learning to your cousin or to your grandma, like, what good is that theory? And what good is talking if you ain't taking action? You feel me? Yeah. I don't, I don't know how to follow that up. <laughs> I think we can go ahead. <laughs> Definitely just want to reiterate the fact that, again, the work that y'all are doing is super important. It's been done before. And to keep fighting, keep striving. There's and resources out yeah. there. Niggas like me and Blake that I fuck with y'all. For real, for real. And it's like, not everybody has to be on the front lines. You got to have the artist. You got to have the person good at social media. You got to have the radical motherfucker be like, man, if you, if you come and touch my people, I'm going to hit you in the face. Like, because that shit, you know, like, you got to have, you got to have a balance of people, right? And you don't always have to agree on something, but you can have disagreements in here. But, you know, when you leave this door, it's like, yeah, we all, we all partners, right? But it's like, how do you build? And, you know, it doesn't take 30, you know, it doesn't take 400 people to, to have a center. It just takes a few people being dedicated. And, you know, people, people might not, you know, want a center, but they'll be in there. And I'm like, I'm really, I really mean that shit. Niggas called me ISIS. Like they really called the BSU ISIS when we were demanding for a resource center. Some of them same niggas still came back. I don't know what's going on outside. I saw them like some cowbells and shit. We really in the, we really, you know. <laughs> Fuck. Hope they don't try nothing. <laughs> SB a different type of white. Cause like the Berkeley whites, I don't know. Like we stopped at the gas station. SB, if there's like a like a <laughs> spectrum of whiteness, they they hitting every single dot, bro. I kid you. You got like, you got like the country white folks. You got like the frat bro white folks. It's it's wild. It's yeah. Y'all know like y'all see this shit every day on campus. You got like the Hollister nigga. You got the <laughs> you got the dude with the lifted truck. Like yeah, you got the skateboarder nigga. Like it's I swear you see every kind of white in Santa Barbara. And it's wild. We stopped at the gas station. I'm like, bro, there's literally like six lifted trucks. For sale. I'm like, what the fuck is it? Yeah, well, we got to go. We know what these with the trucks mean. Like, for real. I was like, man, let's get some gas. Use the restroom and cut. <laughs> I don't know, man. We could get into this um, political race that's that's popping off. Oh, yeah. How you know, y'all, how many of y'all following, you know, the the um, the 2020 political race that's going on? You know, folks announcing their presidency on Martin Luther King birthday and shit, you know. Shit's getting First day of Black History Month. It needs to stop now. I have a dream. <laughs> shit is that one day. <laughs> yeah, that shit was sick. How, how, how y'all feeling about Kamala Harris and Cory Booker? What, what y'all feeling? Y'all fucking with them? I hear, nah, yeah, nah. I done walked out this motherfucker. For real, man. It's Depending a, on y'all response, we're going to determine how much longer this podcast went on. <laughs> Cause I think we spoke for an hour, which means we get our checks, so we could. Nah, I'm just fucking. <laughs> I'm just fucking around. But I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if y'all did fuck with them. You know, it's like they 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 playing the game really well. They got a lot of folks, you know, drinking the Kool Aid. You know what I'm saying? I saw Corey, I fuck with Kool Aid. That's not a diss. Period. Yeah. Point blank. That shit is always in my refrigerator. It wasn't <laughs> no no backhanded compliment, no shit yeah. like that. But they they got they they got niggas feeding in today. They um they weaponize the weaponization of blackness. That's yeah, what they, that's what they're doing right now. Of their identity, like, oh yeah, I'm black. That means I'm your family. Mm, I don't know about that shit. Ain't, ain't you know, you could be black, but you could hate me at the same time. You could, you could be black and you could hate niggas. You wanna know? I think, I think the reason I, I why know. they thrive so well, and like most, most black folks who who tend to be, um, you know, folks that uphold the system, is that a lot of us as black people can't seem to like recognize anti-blackness and white supremacy outside of whiteness. 
Like that's why when you hear like, you know, niggas make claims that like, all right, if you're a black person, you're being anti-black, they're like, nah, because anti-blackness doesn't, it isn't marketed as this. It isn't marketed as the black nigga that could, you feel me, dap you up and that could shoot jump shots and fuck with Jay-Z and be at the, the you know, the North Carolina versus Duke game. But still deport you know more undocumented president. Or that's, not how white, that's not how white supremacy yeah. is presented to us. It's not presented as the black woman that is a, I don't even want to disrespect no sororities or nothing like that. And also, let's just say this before I even continue. If your critique of, I, I hate fucking butchering her name because I hate when niggas- Kam- Kamala Harris. If your critique of Kamala Harris is rooted in misogynoir, I'm not listening to you at all. We can critique her without being anti-black and misogynistic, right? But- and What is misogynoir? Can you explain that to folks who might it's not like know? It's like misogyny that's strictly about black women. You know what I'm saying? Like, if your shit is talking about, you know, if your critique is aimed in that, then it kind of loses its power with me and I won't listen to you no more because now you're just being anti-black. You're not really critiquing- her as a politician, you critiquing her as a black woman, and it's also rooted in your hate for black women. So as soon as yo, as soon as I can see critiques like that, I tend not to fuck with it. But back to the point, it's like if yo, you know, what I'm saying you see a woman, a black woman who went to Howard, that's from the town, and the town is Oakland for, for yeah, people. You feel me? You know, I, I can see why you want to support that because it's lit. You, you would assume that you from Oakland. From where you from? Shit, you went to HU. You yeah. Oh shit, you a AKA till you step? Like what? You you part of you my people? You you invited to the cookout? Until but, she's throwing niggas in the slammer. Yeah, throwing niggas in the slammer. And slammer. denying trans folks health care in prison. And also being very anti-sex work. And also being a top cop of California. Top cop is not a slander term. Like, people think, like, the, that word has been used as, like, slander. It's like, no, like, that's what they call them. Like, that's like a badge of honor, damn near, being called the top cop. Like, I'm the top cop of Alameda County. That's what Kamala Harris was, Right. Top yeah. cop of San Francisco. That's what Kamala Harris was, right? Top cop of California. That's what Kamala Harris was. It's ooh. Damn, cuz. Man. Yo, and they left? These niggas be hating on me. Oh, <laughs> I think Mike just completely went off, didn't it? Yeah. That shit went off. Can y'all hear us? Like, I'm free this shit, honestly. <laughs> y'all can hear us? It's fine. Damn, my arm was getting hella tired. Man. Good thing you be in the gym, you know, you be on your health, you know. Young, black, and healthy. Yeah, you know. Y'all can really hear it, so, because I, for real. See, they saying kind of. I want to be inclusive, too, you feel me? I know, like, hearing, hard of hearing hearing and shit like that. That's why I would, we were very adamant about these mics and shit. Oh, it went mute. It turned off. I cannot scream. Like, that's just not my style. I can't do that. We ain't on that old, you know, old black preacher shit. That nigga hating. There's some hard old black preachers. There there is, but, you know, it's like, I don't know. I can't yell. See, all I these technical difficulties be throwing a nigga off. I don't know if I ever had to, like, speak in front of people, but if your mic shut off and then a nigga come up here, no disrespect to bro, I appreciate the help. But it's like, you know, it kind of throw off your flow. I forgot what I was going to say now. Hella shit. Oh, we need new batteries, man. Shit. See? That's why we need, like, some solar panels or some shit, so that shit wouldn't happen. I don't know. Environmental racism is a real thing, bro. I swear to God. The but. point of that shit is, <laughs> what we were saying is, like, it's important. I don't know. I'm not a nigga that likes to vote. I voted for the first time. Um, this year, and it was the lowest I ever felt in my life. Um, but it was for it was for a good purpose because uh, Cat Brooks is a black woman who's like on the ground and radical. Open. I almost went to jail with her protesting and shit. She like, a real nigga in every sense of the word, like period, point blank. Uh, she was running for mayor of Oakland, and I ain't never picked up. A, I wasn't even. I had to ask this nigga how to vote. Literally, I literally had to like call this nigga like, "Hey, how do I do this? What does this mean? I've never done this shit before." And nigga been able to vote for like the past like seven years, something like that. Um, so if you are going to participate in this shit, at least have a clear understanding of what you're voting for and understand, like, I say this shit a lot, it don't matter who flying the plane, 
the shit gonna operate the way it's supposed to operate. It don't matter who the president is. This white supremacist capitalistic society was designed to keep black folks oppressed. Yeah. Ooh. It don't matter who running this shit. And we've already had yeah. the we've already had the experience with Barack Obama, right? Barack Obama, Obama. <laughs> Niggas hate when I call him that, but that's just what it is. You see his Obama jacket he was wearing that was going viral. I was like, that shit makes sense. He got a bomber jacket. That nigga was dropping hell of bombs, hell of drones. Like that nigga dropped more bombs than any other president. So it's like we say, fuck Donald Trump, fuck George Bush. But why not fuck Barack Obama? Because the nigga's black, literally. And he could, I don't know, he, he got that some swag. That can't be your Because the nigga fuck with Jay-Z and Beyonce, that can't be your only. That can't be the reason why we're going to let this nigga continue to uphold the system. It can't be. You see the way he shook LeBron here? Yeah. I don't know, man. You see his playlist he put out? That's how they be getting niggas, bro. I'm telling you, they be luring us to sleep with that shit, bro. Like, they really and, just be weaponizing that and shit, that, And that's strategic. I, I, I always tell people that Obama was the best chess move for white supremacy is because you could put a black face on it and that shit's still gonna work. It's still gonna do its job. Obama says he for black people, but he was calling black people thugs in Ferguson, calling black people thugs in Baltimore, and that nigga signed the Blue Lives Matter bill. But then he wanna come to the cookout? You got me fucked up, for real. Like, and then you wanna come to Oakland? He just came to Oakland on some uh, My Brother's Keeper program. Yeah, I hate He's, that nigga. I'm so <laughs> I just have to get that out. I've been holding that in for like, since we started this topic, I just have to say I hate Barack Obama. And this and nigga was like, to let that out. if you if you are financially secure, you don't need an eight pound chain. I'm like, how many niggas really have eight pound chains? Like, I know Where'd niggas. You get that number from, bro. You don't hang around niggas. That's how I know you don't hang around niggas because niggas not wearing eight pound chains. And then he's like, Period if you point. have com- if you comfortable with your sexuality, you don't need eight women twerking around you. You know. So now I- women twerking is a sign of. Like, come on, what's going on, bro? Like, why are you over-sexualizing twerking? Like, if you actually understand the history of twerking, Obama, that's actually very cultural. Like, and it wasn't sexualized until this country and sexualized the whole this critique shit. of sexuality in itself was homophobic, my nigga. Right. And very oh, heteronormative. Shit. You know what I'm saying? And he's like, then, kind of slut-shaming, too. Like, oh, Michelle Obama doesn't do this. My wife doesn't do this. Like, why are you using Michelle Obama as a trope? So women that twerk are less than... What's wrong with twerking? I don't know. I, but that's that's the president though. <laughs> but hey, that's the president pushing that narrative. But he's like, saying? oh, you know, I got an eight pound chain, but this nigga got a ten thousand dollars suit on. Yeah, who gives a fuck about an eight pound chain when you riding on private jets, nigga? Nigga, like, you got a Rolex with fifteen bands. You talking about an eight pound chain, and then you come into Oakland like demonizing young black boys for wanting a chain? What's wrong with a chain? Is that the reason why you poor? It's because you got a gold chain on and some Jordans. Oh, if you didn't buy that Gucci belt, you know, maybe you could have had a mortgage. Nah, bro. A Gucci belt, $400. A mortgage is $30,000. You still going to be poor because capitalism keeps you in a cycle of poverty. Racial capitalism keeps you in a cycle of poverty. It's not people who are poor's fault. It's a system. You got to be wary of niggas that victim blame. Like niggas that acknowledge what black folks are doing wrong without acknowledging the system. How could I ever trust you to lead me to liberation, my nigga? So when we think about a president... Right. A president of America, we understand this constitution. This country was rooted in slavery. That's a fact. This country was rooted in genocide. That's a fact. The same constitution that legalized genocide, that legalized slavery, is still the same constitution that we use today. Right. We understand the 13th Amendment that advanced slavery into a government's owning slaves. So now anybody in this room, y'all could have some private prison money. The UC used to invest in private prisons. So if you worked at UC Berkeley or any UC system, your uh, retirement check, that shit was being invested in the private prisons. 
The fucked up part is that was a good investment because private prisons have to have a 95% open rate or uh, uh, it has to be filled 95% of the time. So if you put money into it, you're going to get your shit back. And that's how fucked up capitalism is, right? So we talking about a system. So Obama was like, oh, hope, man. I was drunk off that shit. I for real, like he said, hope and change. I was like, man, that shit almost made me cry. Can y'all remember the feeling y'all got when this nigga like won? I can't. I was so juiced. I was, you know, I played rugby at UC Berkeley. I had a bunch of white teammates. He was running against Mitt Romney, and I was like, ha, <laughs> this black man won, the white man lost. Guess y'all suck. Guess you and I was too. lit. And I'm like, but I look at Obama and what he did. It's like, was he for the people? I don't know. Bombing people ain't for the people. He created, you know, how many uh, military bases do you have in Africa? Over 80 military bases. Imperialist, my nigga. Right. Signing Blue Lives Matter bills. Telling niggas to pull their pants up. But we celebrate him as the first black president. But in the same breath when that Parkland shit popped off. And no, you know, that's definitely rest in peace to all those folks. But when the majority of the, the students that were organizing for that shit were white folks, he was commending them. And why do you cry when Parkland happens, but you didn't cry when Trayvon? Or you didn't cry when Mike Brown? Or you didn't cry about Sandra Bland? Or Kayla Moore, a black trans woman who was killed in Berkeley under the same fashion as Eric Garner, but we don't know her name because she was black and a trans woman and disabled with a mental health disability. Schizophrenic, right? You see but, what I'm saying? Like when you judge, when you break down these niggas' actions and don't just uphold them by the picture that they presented as, not just like a black man in a suit, a black man that came from Chicago. When you break down that barrier and, and he ain't even from Chicago, that's even propaganda itself. I can't, he's like, oh yeah, I, I came to Chicago, I was a community organizer. Nigga, you was from Hawaii, bruh. Come on, bro. You was drinking yeah. coconut juice with your, your like. <laughs> you know, but he ain't even had no coconut oil in his hair. He was just drinking coconut juice. This shit was dry though, as fuck, for real. But you start to analyze like the actual his actions as opposed to the narrative they, that they create for that nigga. His actual actions. If we just blindfolded all y'all and read off the actions, y'all would think the nigga was white. Like, period. You would think that this is a white man we describing or someone of white descent. You know what I'm saying? Like. A white supremacist, period, point blank. You'll be like, oh, this is a white supremacist nigga. And that's period. when we talk about this system, this motherfucker system. It ain't an individual act. You could be like, oh, I, I have a dream that I can integrate in the system and make a change. But even Martin Luther King, his last conversation he had with Harry Belafonte, he said, I think I have integrated my people into a burning house. It's 2019. The house is still burning. So we're talking about integration. Why are we still talking about integration? When some of the most prized integrationists in black history, Martin Luther King, he said, that shit for the birds. And then they killed him because he became anti-capitalist. They killed him because he became anti-war. He spoke out against Vietnam. They killed him because his uh, politics started to align with Malcolm X. What my nigga Malcolm say? Ballot or the bullet? He said that Period. back in the 60s. Voting rights are still being disenfranchised. We, can still, we still have the same amount of voting rights that we did have in the 60s. And we want to quote Malcolm X. But are we listening to what the nigga was saying? Ballot or the bullet? I mean, you feel me? I think it's, you, you, you know. <laughs> 2019 and you know who, who was our option Trump or Kamala Harris you Kamala Harris the fuck with Corey <laughs> my nigga got his streets what he got he got, his he PhD got a PhD in PhD, PhD, PhD in the streets of Newark but he went to he went to Stanford right y'all hear that shit he what are we saying he's like oh yeah I went to Stanford I got my education in Stanford but I got my PhD in the streets of Newark like bro have y'all seen Bamboozle or what was this shit it was called Bamboozle right like that's some shit that I like that sounds like some shit off a movie the fact that a nigga said this on television while running his political race or whatever, I got my PhD in the streets. Like, bro, you ain't nigga, no what? you ain't you ain't no street nigga, bro. Come on, what? like, what? You over here? What are we gentrifying Newark? What are we like 
taking private education, making it private education, building charter schools, having partnerships with Facebook. This motherfucker like literally built out the Newark Police Department to be one of the most quote unquote sophisticated surveillance police departments in the in the country. That's what he is spending his time doing. He said we need more power. And th- this As is his own this is his own words. Like literally building the police, that shit was his own words, and they killed thirteen people that year. Like he literally said, We will put hundreds more of our police onto our streets. We will create the most sophisticated and well resourced police department in New Jersey. Hold me accountable to it. That's Cory Booker. Nigga, hold me accountable, nigga. And like both these candidates we talking about claim to be like they claim to call themselves like um children of the civil rights movement or what what they call it what they call it? Yeah, we were uh we I don't know, some shit like that. Like Yeah, like they, they claim like okay, some my boosty parents, ass my shit. parents were doing this shit, you know what I'm saying? So it's like okay, so you know exactly how the system works. You're making a conscious decision to say shit like this. Police are fucking terrorists, my nigga. And you're talking about giving them more power than they already have? That's the nigga y'all want to be our president? And they killed 13 people that year in, in 2013? We're going to give them even more power. And more killings. his whole idea of putting more police into the streets, that ain't a new idea. That's what Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton had in terms of community policing. Uh, quote, unquote, first black president. Niggas you know? Call him Bill Clinton the first black Because he could play the jazz. Yeah, he could play the saxophone, right? And that, I mean, that's that's kind of a funny thing to if we think about today. Like, Cory Booker, he kind of trying to play the saxophone just like Bill Clinton did. Kamala Harris saying, oh, yeah, you know, I, I smoke I smoke marijuana and I'm Jamaican. Like, cool. What? Nigga? What? You going on the breakfast club talking to Charlamagne, the guy saying, you know, <laughs> Charlamagne. <laughs> Fuck that, nigga. <laughs> right? <laughs> so literally, like, it's, it's this pandering. It's like. We're supposed to believe you. It's like Hillary Clinton went on the Breakfast Club and said, I got hot, hot, hot sauce in my bag. That's and you do the same type to. of shit. That's what they reduce us to when it's time to vote. Fucking memes. Hot sauce and street cred. That's what they reduce the black vote to, my nigga. Like, they really, what do we think? We ain't going to think about what you was doing. Like, Corey, like, you literally are endorsing community policing, the same shit that Clinton was doing. Niggas want to talk about Hillary Clinton saying, oh, we got to bring these super predators to heal. Well, that's exactly what Corey Brooker was doing in Newark. But we're supposed to vote for him simply just because he's black. You got me fucked up. Democrats, like, oh, we're supposed to be Democrats? The Democrats have done some of the most anti-black shit in this fucking country. We live in fucking California where Democrats have built more fucking prisons than schools. So we built 13, 14 prisons since, what, the 80s or some shit. And we build, like, one public education. And then they raising the fucking tuition. And tuition actually used to be free, but that nigga Ronald Reagan, motherfucking op, made us pay for college. But hey, Kamala Harris is over here preaching to people like, oh, let's build more prisons. She literally was saying, oh, these protesters, they love talking about, you know, investing in schools and, and divesting prisons. She was literally mocking what black people say. But because she's from Oakland, because she, you know, smokes marijuana while listening to Tupac, apparently... Or some shit like we're I supposed to vote for. Yeah, he was locking niggas up for getting high. That's what you was doing. So you was getting high, quote unquote, while you was on the job, but locking up, you know, two key on the block for smoking weed and slanging <laughs> weed. <laughs> you look like you sound like Obama. You know he says <laughs> shit like that. Don't tell Ray Ray to vote. That nigga, that's I know you remember that shit. Yeah. That's what this nigga just. Said. <laughs> that was foul. I get your point though, but damn, nigga. That's like, that's that's actually where. All the shit we just said, you just canceled that shit out. With yeah. That shit. That's some shit Elaine Brown be saying. Y'all are familiar with Elaine Brown? That's 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 what came to my mind when Elaine Brown be saying some funny shit like that. Like she hell funny. The point of it is, y'all, <laughs> is let's um 
Let's hold these black politicians accountable the same way we'll hold any, anyone else that's not black. You know what I'm saying? Like, judge folks by their actions. Us too. You know what I'm saying? Like, y'all gonna have a lot more people that come on here into this campus and tell y'all what a revolution looks like, tell y'all how organizing and activism should be done, but judge us by our actions. You know what I'm saying? Fuck that. The movement has been commodified. Niggas are learning that words can take you a lot further than actions. You know what I'm saying? At least that's what they're trying to present to us. You can talk your way out of anything these days. Yeah. Fuck that. Hold niggas accountable. What are you really doing, bro? So what do you mean by the movement being commodified? What does, like, commodify mean for folks? I know what that means. I mean, it's just, so for me, what I've experienced, and we had this conversation in, like, with the green room, whatever area you want to call that, we were hanging out before, and I was telling Blake, like, it's wild that, you know, y'all had to do all this labor, raise all this money, or find all this money, pamp, fucking pander for all this money just to come get something that y'all should be taught in school for free and also for us to do something that we would do for free like again we talked about the podcast I never thought I'd be speaking to some students and getting paid to do it like this is some shit that I would do for free I'm starting to learn that like this is labor and whatnot but um a lot of folks are we live in the time right now right we're like being righteous and doing the right thing is what's big it's like oh look at this charitable act look at what this person did look at what this person said and like Motherfuckers are using that to be predatory, period. They're taking advantage of that shit. They know that like people, they know that we're that motherfuckers are fed up and we are ready for the revolution. We're ready for change, and we know in a capitalist society that that has been shifted and been able to you, you, people can make money off that shit now. So people are gonna come up here and say whatever, period. They're gonna use buzzwords. They're gonna use things that they know they're gonna trigger y'all and make y'all happy. Make y'all buy. Damn, this nigga smart. This nigga is this and that. This is the next leader, and but they're not doing shit for real. And again, it's, it's places for, for folks in the movement everywhere, but if what you're saying is not adding up to what you're doing, come on. And we have a lot of, I feel like, what, what I like to call a state-sponsored activist. So Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, they sponsored by the state. Sean King. Sean King. Fuck that nigga. For real. Say that. But even, you know, like we, we're talking about Black Lives Matter, right? Even Black Lives Matter, the organization, if you talk to people in Ferguson, they're like, ain't none of the money came to Ferguson. I was just in Ferguson a month ago. Like, no. And they it's, have been forgotten. While niggas is going on book tours and speaking at colleges like this. You know what I'm saying? Like, the niggas really doing the work have been forgotten and still living in the trenches. And you even have some of the founders of Black Lives Matter. They're co-sponsoring ideas of voting for progressive district attorneys. And they're working on campaigns to work to get DAs elected. Right? So we say in Black Lives Matter... But then we're working on a campaign to get a district attorney elected. Like the district attorney is the top cop of whatever city. That's so we say example. we say fuck twelve. But we say Black Lives Matter, but we working with twelve and we want to get twelve elected. What does that make you? That's the primary. So if I come here and I'm speaking to all my revolution, da da da. But go work for the police. Y'all see me with OPD. <laughs> it's like nigga, who are you? Like, <laughs> like what the fuck? What's really going on, my nigga? What's really your goal? You know what I'm saying? So that's what I mean by like the movement has been commodified. Motherfuckers is using this shit. They praying on our on our desire, um, our need for revolution. They using again, they 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 talking, they saying the shit that they know we want to hear. But when they go home, when they go wherever the fuck they going, they supporting the same system that's oppressing us. Cause it's real easy to get a check to be a reformist. That shit popular. Okay, create a 501c3, call it Justice Pack, and we're going to get, you know, district attorneys reelected. You know how much niggas would pay to see two cishet black men talk about supporting the police? Oh, my God, nigga. 
we need more police in our communities. Like, niggas, shut up. We will get the, we will get the bag. And that's for what real. a lot of niggas have realized. It's yeah. no longer about the revolution for some people. It's no longer about liberation and freedom. It's about integrating into this white supremacist capitalistic patriarchy. And that makes you an op. <laughs> a point blank period. If you're working for the police, you op. If you, I, I don't know. I, we, we come from a perspective, a revolutionary perspective, right? We see the police, the foundation. I mean, it's also, if we know our history, it's like, why would we say we need more cops, right, when the foundation of policing is slave patrols? And policing has only advanced more and more and more to what it is today, right? So while we say slave patrols, quote unquote, back in the day, now you have campus cops with AR 15s, campus cops with tear gas, campus cops with militarized vehicles ready to deploy at any time. And honestly, that's meant to curb protests, right? So it's like, if we understand policing, we understand this prison system, it's like, why would we say we need more black cops if the foundation of policing is rooted in slave patrollers? I don't want no black oppressor. I don't care what color, I don't want no black oppressor. I don't need no black cop. Black cops kill black people at the same rate as white cops. Why the fuck would I want a black cop? Right? So when we think about these systems, we have to understand the history. It ain't just an individual. You can be like, okay. I think I'm gonna change some shit, but it's like if we study our history, it's 2019, nigga. I could, I could see why people was like, all right, we could police our own communities in the 60s. We need black cops in the 60s. I could, I could see that in the integration time, right? 50 or so, 60 years later, it's like, is that really gonna work? So why are we doing it? Why don't we build other models of what we think freedom could look like? Why do we think that the police means safety? I don't know about y'all. I don't feel safe when I see the police, right? I don't feel that. I know, like, if we had social workers roaming the streets, like, why do we have? Why can't we have free food? Why can't we have free health care? Why can't we have free housing? Why do we give billions and billions of dollars to Israel to fund the occupation of Palestine, but we have people here living on the streets? And then you know, your black, your, your Cory Booker is the biggest, you know. Um, what he gets the most money from APAC, which is the Israel Political Action Committee. He Democrat, so it's like we the system is creating black neo colonialism, neo colonialists, right? So it's like back in the day you had a white colonizer. Now it's like okay, we'll integrate some black people and we'll have black colonizers, and they'll have the they'll do the job of white supremacy, and that's what Cory Booker is doing. That's what Kamala Harris is doing. That's what Obama did. Right. So I think we need to really look about like what does it mean to be a revolutionary? What does it mean to overthrow a, a colonial system, right? Cuz this shit is like we on some this ain't even our land we on. <laughs> this shit ain't ours. Right? How are we also working with native indigenous peoples for freedom? You feel me? Facts. We've been talking for like an hour and 15 minutes. Is that true? We for sure have. It's like 7 7:30. Yeah. Okay. And we want to um, create the space for this to be like kind of interactive. I don't know if folks got questions and shit. 